will never forget the name of Hey, how's it going, everyone? Welcome to Rogue Opinions and our Double or Nothing Summary. I'm Carl, and my podcasting partner for today, the Alpha to my Omega, <laughs> is Scott McLeod. Welcome, Scott. How are you? I'm, I'm fine. I'll, I'll take that. I'm a big Chris Jericho fan, so I have no no problem with that. <laughs> Who isn't? Who isn't? Yeah. So, are you ready to get straight into things? Yep, definitely has definitely a lot to cover here. There is, yes. So uh, things kicked off with the buy-in and the casino battle royal. Mm-hmm. Um, the the biggest thing about this was the mystery of who drew the Joker. Well, I'll say mystery. I think it was one of the sort of worst kept secrets. Really, uh, how did you find this match? Uh, I liked. Uh, I, I get the format can be a bit confusing. To fully understand it first, but I think it, this match really had a lot of good moments. But if I had to compare it to you know, like the over budget battle royal they had back at All In, I think I preferred the All In battle royal to this. Yeah, no, agreed. Because they uh, they had women in that one as well, or at least uh, yeah. Jordan yeah. Grace in it. Anyway, with a couple of memorable spots. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's still weird to see Glacier within it as well. <laughs> Yeah, I know. I mean, I haven't seen him since WCW folded back, way back in the day. Uh, quite liked uh, Jimmy Havoc bringing in the uh, staple gun. That was uh, yeah, that was fun. Well, which was good. What was good was not only did they have a spot where he stapled Tommy Jumer in the genitals, but you seen in the background TMJS reaction to it. Just probably the same reaction of every man watching that spot. Yeah, and uh, MJF he's. He got some good heel heat going straight for um, Justin Thomas, is it? The uh, the double amputee. Yeah. Giving him a good good kick in. He's, he's such a good heel. I think he's going to go far in uh, AEW, just um, MJF. I'd, I was surprised because I had actually had MJF not only to win this match, but I actually thought MJF was going to draw the number 21 because like having him as a heel winning it, and also using the uh, the option, this like twenty one option to his full advantage, like kind of like how the number thirty should usually probably produce more winners in a Royal Rumble than it has. When you think about it, yeah, I think they like. I think WWE like to have like the old Iron Man, the person sort of lasting the longest, isn't it? Gives them mm-hmm. a bit more oomph. But anyway, yeah, it was um, Hangman Adam Page. You were. Uh, was number 21 and drew the Joker. And he sort of came in. I think he was selling his knee a little bit, wasn't he? Yeah, he was one thing when he came in the ring, which threw me and a lot of people, because when a lot of people I saw predicting this, they all had, they thought he was going to come out and demand an opponent. And they had teased they had a bigger opponent for him. So they thought he was going to like maybe face Moxley, but instead he came out in this, which I guess there, if you were predicting, trying to make predictions for this, which I, I know I was, through that yours out the window. 
Yeah, for, well, they decided to switch things up and have the winner of the the Casino Battle Royal face the winner of Jericho and Omega for for the title at a later date, which might be it all out, which was announced for August, possibly. I actually heard it could happen as soon as uh, Fighter Fest at the end of ah, June. Ah, right. Which, uh, which I'm fine with. Uh, also, I heard apparently Pac, Pac didn't pull out because he was meant to lose to Page. I think he actually was meant to win because that would then lead him to later on face Kenny Omega and he was meant to apparently lose to Omega, which is the issue is more of the long term booking that was the problem. Yeah, I've also heard rumours of visa issues. I don't know if I don't know if there's any truth in that though. Well, apparently he had to miss some of his WrestleCon bookings because of visa issues, so it is uh, plausible. But you think I get what facts and he's had a few kind of screwy finishes in his matches to kind of keep himself under Dragon Gate title looking strong because I remember I saw him at a triple threat at a show here in Scotland and he was in the trouble there basically so he didn't have to take the pin so but like, then again it's Kenny Omega like if he can't like I don't think there's any shame in losing to someone as good as Omega is. No not really he's a former IWGP champion isn't he so uh, mm-hmm. can't really knock him too much but but anyway um, Hangman threw um, MJF out last to, to win the Casino Battle Royal and become a contender for the AEW title. Uh, yeah, I was actually quite happy because I think if you're going to have a final two, and it, either this was a good final two to have because either of them could uh, could possibly win it. Uh, MJF is a great heel, so if he had the bill and he was the first champion, it was something you would never let you hear the end of. And Hangman was clearly very over with the crowd, and he made a statement at the first rally like he wanted. To be the champion. Yeah, he got a big pop when his music hit, doesn't he? To yeah. to be fair, um, it does seem to me that they are positioning in um, MJF as the top heel and Hangman Adam Page as the top babyface at at this point. Would you agree with that? Yeah, that is a fair assessment based on this and what would happen later on when they presented the belt. And I think if Page does win it, possibly at Fighter Fest, I could see. MJF being the one of his first major defences, possibly either fight for the fallen or all out, depending. Yeah, yeah, we'll uh, we'll have to wait and see. I'm sure there'll be a, an announcement soon. Uh, so then we went on to the first singles match for All Elite Wrestling, which was Sammy Guevara v Kip Sabian. Not much to say about this match, really, to be honest. I'm not overly familiar with um, either wrestlers. I know a bit of, about Kip Sabian, but not uh, huge amounts yourself. Uh, yeah, from what I've seen, I've seen the odd Sammy Guevara like, clip, but what I've seen most of them in the last few months is he's been heavily featured on uh, being the elite, and that he's this overly positive guy who thinks he gets along with everybody, but as soon as he leaves, everybody talks about how much they can't stand him. Um, Sounds a bit like me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and uh, Stephen, I know he's been in like World of Sport, but that's as, as far as I know about him. But I couldn't help but think when Sammy Guevara came out, and a bit, I'm sure there's probably a rich a history or something behind the whole panda thing he had going on. But to me, it looked like he'd just been watching Tropic Thunder the night before the pay-per-view. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm sure we'll learn more about uh, these wrestlers and characters as All Elite gets its uh, TV show off the ground. I would imagine. 
yeah, like as much as there wasn't much of a story, they did pull out a lot of great like spots. And I think the reason for having these two on like the the pre show is kinda like how when they have usually having dowry the cruiserweights on the pre show and that there won't be much of a story but if people are still hesitant they tune in and they see like these guys putting on a good like showcase then it gets people in and like this is the purpose of what the buy in is supposed to be. Yeah, I mean I thought it was a I thought it was a decent match overall. I, I quite like the uh, it's like a shooting star press on to Kip Sabian as he was draped over the the barrier, which was a, a move I've not seen before. Yeah, again, it seemed like a variation of like when RVD would do it, except he did kind of a leg drop. Yeah, yeah, it was cool. Kip Sabian picked up the win, um, which I think it was the Deathly Hallows they called his move. Uh, uh, I was actually quite surprised with that because I think because of Guevara's like, like showing on being the Elliot, I thought he was was going to be positioned as one of their like a top guy so it was quite surprising that Steven got the win but maybe it's because he's familiar with the ITV audience being that he was on World Sports Yeah I'm wondering because because of the deal with ITV they're they're keen to push uh, an English talent perhaps Well they have teased uh, UK pay-per-view down the line so it could be it Okay and then um, we sort of had a Little sort of being elite skit, didn't mm. we? Where they sort of all came out and argued over the mic and and cut a bit of a promo. For me, it sort of it cut off before <laughs> before they really started talking, and then the main show started and they'd finished. So I don't really yeah. know what they said. <laughs> yeah, I think that too. Like maybe it was. I'm thinking it may just be the box office like version where it cuts it from the buying into the yeah main show. Like, um, I don't know if it happened like for a while. So, like, if you're watching it on Fight in America, if that happened, but it was quite weird. But anyway, the, the show kicked off um, with uh, SoCal Unlimited. Uncensored. Uncensored. That's it. Sorry, uh, I just wrote SCU and then forgot. <laughs> yeah, I think it's Thursday and SCU. <laughs> that's it. Yeah. So it's just Christopher Daniels, Frankie Kazarian. And uh, is it Scorpion Sky? Scorpion Sky, yeah. Uh, and then we had another um, Strong Hearts for OWE, the Chinese Wrestling Federation, which I know absolutely nothing about. So I'll, uh, I'll yeah. admit straight off. Yeah, I don't really know much about it. I know Shima, the leader of the, the team and the guy who helped found it, is, was big and dragging it back in the day. And ah, right. he apparently helped the Young Bucks get booked for Dragon Gate, which was the start of them getting noticed. So it's kind of a him being involved with this company's kind of kind of a loyalty thing for them. Ah, right, I see. Well, at least you know. I mean, I'm not uh, a big watcher of Dragon Gate either, you see. So yeah, a few I, of these bits are lost on me here and there. Yeah, it's because uh, they did the whole the road to Del or nothing, and they also I've tried to watch quite a bit of being the elite on the lead up to it because, like. When you seen it all in, they used being the elite quite heavily to build storylines. So I thought they're probably going to do a similar thing uh, with this. So I thought if I miss something on if something, if I watch more being the elite, it might help me make more sense if they do something on the the show, which maybe lost to someone who maybe didn't watch it. Yeah, um, it, I think it was a decent opener, to be honest. Lots of fast-paced action and. Uh high risk manoeuvres and stuff 
mean, yeah. I mean, they go so well. I mean, considering was it Frankie Kazarian and Christopher Daniels, they must be in their mid to late forties by now, easily. Yeah, because uh, Daniels uh, is actually forty nine. He turned a few weeks ago, so. Yeah, I knew he must be getting somewhere around that age. Yeah, and I think this was basically, I think, a showcase match. So, in that regard, it was good to have it as the opener because the crowd are going to be like hot for the opening of the show. So, you want to give them an opener that keeps up that excitement. And I say one of the guys on the uh, Stronghearts team that impressed me was El Lindemann, yes. at least the blonde haired member of the team. Who struck me a lot with his offense and like the deadlift Germans is kind of a Tyler Bates style wrestler. Yeah, he was he was good. I must admit he stood out to me, yeah, Linderman as well. But yeah, as I say, they're gonna be a part of the T V show, I, I would imagine. So it was a it was a good showcase for them. Yeah, and I imagine like more talent from them will be or promotion will be coming over and you possibly get a lot of people from all elite going over there because I've seen SCU recently performing at one of their on the OWE shows, so obviously keeping that relationship going. Yeah, and um, so Cal and Sense had got the win in the end with the best Meltzer ever. Is that, that yeah, the name really, right? Yeah, essentially the Meltzer driver, but Daniel says his best insult ever. You know, do you think it's clever? Yeah, it's a, it's a good move, and uh, yeah, I think the right guys won in, uh, in the end because they're the, the better known stars, really. Yeah, I think like either way, like uh, I think they got you got a good taste of what the OWE guys are a bit, and hopefully that continues because I know Shima's uh, booked for a fight for the fallen to fight uh, Omega. Ah, right, so that'd be pretty cool. Yeah, uh, and then we moved on to uh, the triple threat women's match, um, mm-hmm. which they had a uh, guest. Ali on commentary, who I thought was quite decent on commentary, actually. Better than some of the women you hear in WWE, anyway. Won't yeah. mention any names. <laughs> and speaking of the commentary, what were your kind of thoughts on JR? Because for me, I was watching it with kind of a group of people, so more often than not, we couldn't really hear the commentary. We were just like watching and then chatting amongst ourselves, so we didn't hear the commentary as often. So I didn't think JR was that bad, though there was a point where it was obvious he was he was lost when they were going when it cut to the commentary team between assignment to your openly they're like I don't know where we are and the other guys had to kind of come in and lead them into the next bit yeah uh, I thought JR was was pretty good um, Escalibur was really good I've never heard his commentary before but I, I was impressed with him he seemed to he seemed to know what was going on uh, the third guy uh Alex, Alex Morvez. That's Alex Morvez. I did have it written down somewhere, but I've got that many notes. Um, yeah, he 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 was competent, but nothing you know, nothing to write home about, if that makes sense. Yeah, well, I heard he was he had like an NFL background. I think considering like how many times they've got somebody in from like an outside uh, outsider wrestling to do commentary, I think he did better than most. And Excalibur, I think, was kind of the the standout of amongst the three man team. Yeah, uh, he, he sort of, I think, Alex Morales, he, he sort of came across a bit sort of bland at times, if that makes, if that's fair. Yeah. Didn't really put any real oomph into it like uh, JR and, and Escalibur would. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, the, the match was a free, well, it was supposed to be a freeway. Uh, Kylie Ray 
Nyla Rose and Dr. Britt Baker. But then Brandy came out in full gear. Did she work you? I mean, I thought she was going to insert herself in the match. Yeah, I thought she was, like, because she has, obviously, she's got executive positions, so I thought she was trying to position herself as kind of the step, maybe the step in man still figure of this, of AEW, and insert herself. But I think she did a kind of a nudie, like when we were worked, we thought the nudie were going to add themselves before the Hardys did the return a few years ago. Yeah, yeah, it was a good swerve. And then out came Awesome Kong, of all people, who actually, I thought, had retired and gone into acting because she's been doing Glow, hasn't she, the past uh, couple of years? Yeah, she's uh, tremendous. And well, I'm actually watching season two back uh, currently, so it was definitely even more of a surprise to, to see her. But yeah, I mean, when the match got going, she sort of dominated the early goings, didn't she? Awesome Kong throwing overpowering everybody and uh, throwing them around. Yeah, it does seem quite a last minute because she was taken out quite early and then the, most of the match was between Kylie and Britt, so I think the, this is maybe a last minute thing, so they did improvise the spots at the start with Awesome Kong and then once they took her out, they essentially just continued the match as they'd maybe originally, originally planned because also if Awesome was planned to come in, I'd have thought she'd have dominated for a while as much as they would try and keep her down and then win but she didn't yeah I mean she might not have been in complete ring shape to be honest she might have only been able to go for a few minutes and that's why she did her bits at the start and then got taken out outside the ring Uh, Nyla also spent a fair bit sort of uh, selling outside the ring as well didn't she as you say it was it was mainly between uh, Smiley Kylie and, and Britt Baker yeah, but it was a it was a good match, um, probably a better match than the triple threat double or nothing as well. I would, I would say. Yeah, and uh, I hadn't heard of Kelly. I knew who Bert Baker was. I've seen her all in, but sequences between those two are really good. And I really think about Nyla Rose is probably very disappointed to see us on kind of thing. Like I might be the dominant person here now. They've got someone bigger to come in. Yeah, I mean, it did sort of um, piss on a chip, so to speak, didn't it, <laughs> in, that, in that regard. But I, I, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm guessing it's just a one and done with Awesome Kong. As I say, she's got, her, she's got her acting career now and Glow's going well. So I can't imagine her being a full-time signee, but I could be wrong on that. Well, I don't think either we're going to stick to the same like, type of schedule as a WWE would do. So I think you can have her come in occasionally whenever yeah. Brandy say if Brandy ever needs anybody to back her up. Because like, they did a thing on, I believe it was Rotodile or nothing, where uh, they announced Ali versus Brandy at Fight for the Fallen and you heard Brandy on the phone with somebody asking for their help. And I think that way we can assume that person uh, was awesome gone because in the video it was never revealed to the person she was phoning was. Yeah, it could very well be. That'll be an interesting, an interesting match. Mm-hmm. But she doesn't wrestle that regularly these days, does she, uh, Brandy? Yeah, no, because and she said like that she didn't want to wrestle at Dover nothing because right now it's not about her; it's about establishing like the other women in the division. And I think if they had her come in and set herself, anyways, having her going back on her word, if they wanted her to be a heel, that would be a good way to achieve promises. And then she decides like, nah. Yeah, so so hopefully in that match she'll uh, she'll put Ali over. I would I would hope. 
Maybe like or she win has... by cheating if uh, if she has to win. Yeah, because like I remember uh, Rosemary, Ali's uh, really good friends with outside, and I don't know if unless Rosemary's still with Impact. Like if they have Rosemary and her and against Kong and Brandy, I think that'd be really good. Yeah, uh, well, uh, as far as I know, Rosemary is still with Impact, and it came out not long ago that uh, Jordan Grace was uh, still unsigned, and then they quickly signed her up, didn't they? It was announced she had signed with her about uh, 12 hours after that sort of article was released, so they obviously want to try and keep hold of as many stars as they can, Impact, but I do see them struggling if uh, when AEW start broadcasting. Yeah, I mean, they were smart when they got Tessa as quickly as they did because, I mean, Tessa, I believe, won the four-way back at All-In. I thought she was a student if, when the AEW was in, a student to be part of the division, but she was then quickly signed up by Impact. Yeah, she does have a habit of rubbing up people the wrong way as well, by from what I hear, so whether that makes people think twice about signing her up, I, I don't know. But it'd be interesting to see who else they bring in when uh, when they get going proper. Yeah. But, um, yeah, there's a good spot. I quite like the spot where uh, Britt and Kylie t- teamed up to do a double suplex on uh, Nyla Ray from the, from the ropes. That was a, that was an impressive uh, spot in the match. Yeah, and I think it was quite interesting uh, how Britt kind of won the match. The kind of brain buster across the knee, which I believe yeah. is a, a finisher of Adam Cole's. Yeah, uh, uh, Ushi they call it sometimes, don't they, if I'm getting the pronunciation I correct. That, I think that may be a mistake because I believe the move that Ty Dillinger does where he does kind of the fireman's care over the knees. Yeah. It's actually the Ushi Garoshi, so I, think, I believe they may have miscalled it unless they, there are multiple moves that go by the same name. But as far as I know, that's not the Ushi Garoshi, ah, but it's right, still a aggressive move. So that, I saw a lot of moves because I'm primarily a WWE person. I saw a lot of moves I've never seen before, so some of the names I will get a bit wrong and muddled up, unfortunately. But um, yeah, it was a it was it was a decent match because I thought it was for the women's title, but they never announced her as champion or gave her a belt. So maybe that's gonna maybe they've changed plans on that one now as well. I think they wanted to kind of establish the world title first because they established the contenders. They said, I don't like the way rush into immediately crowning the first champions. Like, I think by the time the first TV deal comes around, they will have be putting plans in motion to establish the women's and the, the tag champions. Yeah. Um, and next up was a, a tag match, which uh, two teams I know very little about, uh, the best friends. Mm-hmm. Uh, Trent and Chuck Taylor, and I'm going to butcher this name now. And Angelico and Jack Angelico. Evans. Yeah, I told you, and, butcher, I'll butcher and, some and names Angelico. as well. <laughs> yeah, well, I was going to say, I was you there on the Angelico, but they had been no help in the, the six woman tag later on, other than Azure Cole. But no, it's just me and. Yeah, I really enjoyed this. It was, Interesting. They kind of did a, a weird story to build this on being the elite in that they booked the best friends for the Battle Royal, but the best friends didn't want to be in the on the pre-show. They wanted a proper tag match, and they tried to send this like 
cryptic like video threatening the young bucks, but you and tried to blur their faces it, even though you could quite clearly tell it was them. They, All right. That's yeah, Matt phone and phone and Trent. Like we know that was you. You can clearly tell that was you. So yeah, um, it was a good it was a good tag match. Yeah, I mean fast paced. I mean it, it seems to be the um, sort of the way uh, AEW want to present a lot of their matches. You know, it's hard, a lot of hard hitting. It's all fast paced, lots of high risk maneuvers, sort of moves you don't see a lot of in WWE or or at all, like uh, you know pile drivers and and what mm-hmm. have you. It's sort of it. it I mean, I think it did a good job of highlighting how restrictive and limited WWE can can be in the ring. Would would, would you agree with that? Yeah, I think so to a certain extent. Like certain matches didn't always have clear like heels. Now they just went out. They were then going out there on the show a lot of the time and putting on a great match because that's their first show. They want to like start off. You want to start off with a great one. I do feel like in the crowd's mind, Dan Helco and Jack Evans immediately became the heels because they stopped Trent and Chuck from sharing a hug at one point. They went for the hug and then they, and Helco and Evans Chuck hit both of them in the back. Yeah, it was good, but the best friends were victorious in the end, again, with a, a move I'm not familiar with. I don't know if you, you are. What was the move again? Uh, I think it was... Something to something like tag team crusher or something like that. I've written down, but again, I've no idea if that's right. I'm sort of winging it on a lot of these moves because um, yeah, I think there's commentary a... saying that fast and with such gusto, you, you can't always make out what they're saying. Yeah, there was a lot of tag teams. I think I kind of got lost because you had like and Helco doing like the apron power bomb, and I think there was a spot. It was kind of a they did like a power bomb and. Uh, Trent did a knee at the same time. I think that be be in it. Yeah, there's also um, a, a spot. Wasn't the pen, but I want to like to crucifix power bomb into the turnbuckle, which uh, was followed up by a six thirty splash, which was a which was a good move. And I thought that was going to be the finish, but yeah, uh, but, uh, that was broken up. Uh, yeah, they are like I don't think Brian and Chucky are known for like. Great as being like high flyers, you know, they can pull up really good moves like when they want to, but and and then Helico and everything are more, more known as the high flyers working in their like Mexico and Lich Underground. But I've actually watched Dan Helico and ICW, he put on like one of the better, like best technical matches I've ever seen. So it kind of shows like the level of talent they've got, where like on one night you can they can go out and put on like a a show with a lot of high spots, but if they do a different show, doing like you could have these guys in kind of a technical style match. Yeah, I mean, it's they're going to have some fantastic matches with most of the talent on these cards. They, they they're all excellent in ring workers, aren't they? Let's mm-hmm. let's face it. And then another story um, after the match, it sort of went dark, and then when the lights came back on again, we had a tag team. I think I found out through a bit of research on that super smash brothers is that's what is that what they call themselves yeah and, uh, they had like an army of minions with them didn't they as well yeah i think the crowd all the crowd did not immediately recognize them they were chatting who are you which i don't know if was a great start to a, a debut but 
And no, the uh, I have seen the Super Smash Bros. briefly, and like they were in PWG, but they looked very different to what they did here. They were kind of like video game inspired, whereas they looked like a lot darker version here. So I think that's why I didn't immediately immediately recognize them. But they did have a good move where they hit on. I can't remember who it was, but they did like one of them had to them in the kind of the gory special kind of position. The other did a flipping like cutter. Yeah, yeah, and then um, when they sort of finished decimating mm-hmm. the other tag teams, uh, the sort of the mass minions sort of formed like a human throne, didn't they? Yeah, so like maybe not like I said, no, you're not the best star, but like hopefully, like it gets interesting going forward because once they see what supernaturals are like, like in the ring, because like despite their reaction, like I said, they had some really good combo combination of moves on uh, both teams. Yeah, it was very good. And then we had uh, an announcement sort of promo for the the next big pay-per-view, uh, All Out, which is going to be in August, keeping them up with the sort of card game theme, poker theme. I'm not sure what I think of the name All Out at the moment, but it, it might grow at me. It doesn't have the same sort of ring or catchiness to it as uh, All In or Double or Nothing, does it, somehow? No, uh yeah, like you said, I think they were trying to keep up with the uh, keep with the yeah, theme going because like all in made sense because it was Cody in the box putting all of, all their all their like investment into they're going all in on it, and also like, the idea of double or nothing is like they're seeing if they can pull it off again. Whereas all out just seems like they're just trying to think of something. Like, yeah, I heard, heard rumours they were going to call it all us as well. Which... It almost sounds like. Uh... Uh, uh, a sort of finale, doesn't it? Calling it all right, which isn't what isn't what the, the sort of message they want to send, really, is it? It's, it's quite a, quite a strange name for me. I think, but I think the whole point is, they said Cody said in an interview post the show, I think the next day, he said like she was like all out and done or nothing. You think like. They want it to be like their temple kind of events going for because like all out being kind of the anniversary of all in which kind of set everything in motion because they said like they're not going to be having pay-per-views every month yeah no i don't, I don't think you need pay-per-views every month i think it's one of the things that killed the vwe a bit they sometimes feel like they shoe on the men and sometimes you've only got three weeks between them and it's too soon sometimes isn't it yeah, well, we've only got a week, barely got a week between this uh, takeover twenty five and then another Saturday show, so like mm. it's really hard to like take it all in at times. Yeah, exactly. And then I think that's what we had the, uh, the Josie tag team action, the six women tag match again. The only woman I'm familiar with is uh, Aja Kong, which it was great yeah. to see her in action. I didn't, I didn't think I'd get to see her in action again. To be honest, I didn't even realise she was still going. Yeah, I, I couldn't really take her seriously though with the purple and silver gears. I think she tried to pay tribute to men on a mission. Yeah, I never thought about that, but now, now you bring it up. <laughs> uh, I did. I can't really remember her name, but uh, one of the competitors came out uh, dressed as Freddie Mercury, which I thought was really nice. Yeah, yeah, that was pretty cool. Um... Imi Sakura or something, I'm not sure. Again, I'm probably absolutely butchering the pronunciation. But yeah, she she sort of came across as a as a star during the match, to to be fair. Yeah, but uh, 
I don't know what it was maybe when we're not used to foreign in the US and our states like this because this this just feel like very awful. It seemed like some of the spots didn't look as good as they should, and they had the but where somebody kicked out, they rang the bell, and then they had the referee to say like no, like and then they did the finish. Yeah, that I think that like a genuine botch to me. The um, they thought that was the finish, didn't they? Yeah, which I think everything was going so well, and then you have that happen, and like you, you know, there are going to be some people who look back on this and will focus on that rather than everything else that happens, which is what you don't want. Yeah, well, hopefully not. But uh, again, I'm going to try and uh, say one of these names: Kikiria Shida. With a running knee, uh, gain the pinfall and uh, and the victory for her team. So again, it, it wasn't you know it's a enjoyable match. As I said, I, didn't, I don't know the competitors really or their stories, but I, I still enjoyed the match. And as I say, it was fun to see Aja Kong um, wrestling. I mean, she's forty eight years old, so she's doing pretty well. Yeah, I get what they were trying to do. They're kind of showing like the diverse range of athletes they were working with. That like it's a bad sign where like people. Were, I was as glad as I was to see a match end, uh, so I didn't have to watch it anymore after like the such good action that we'd had before this match came in. Yeah, definitely. And then um, next up, we had one of possibly the best match of the night and. One of the most anticipated matches on the card, uh, the natural Dustin Rhodes against the American Nightmare Cody Rhodes. Yeah, and I'm interested to get your opinion here because I think I've seen some mixed things on this. I liked the look of it, but then I think is this necessary? The whole a throne being on the stage, which Cody then destroyed with a sledgehammer, which I don't think was really hard to tell what he was implying here. Yeah, I mean, it was very Triple H-esque, wasn't it, with the, the back looking exactly like Triple H's logo and the, the skulls, and then using a sledgehammer of all things. It was definitely uh, symbolic. Uh, yeah. I think perhaps a bit too... I don't, I don't... I mean, they do want to compete with WWE, and you can't ignore the competition. I mean, when I used to watch back in the day, they wouldn't... They'd barely mention there was other... Uh, wrestling federations besides themselves, WWE. But I think that was a bit too on the nose, really. Yeah, like, I get, like, you can't really, you can't always ignore your competition. And I think you can also go out your way to mention them because, like, they did take the piss at the start of the show where they did, like, if they overestimated the size of the crowd, like, WWE usually does. And yeah, yeah. That was uh, that was quite that, funny. Uh, that and then this, I think, like hopefully they don't make too much of a habit of it going forward. I think it was just for this one show. But I think Cody said like he had the idea for it, and he said he's kind of made peace with the idea. He's probably not going to go back. So this is a case of him really burning bridges. Yeah, I mean a lot of people say, oh, they won't have Cody back now if if he did want to. But WWE have proven over the years with a hell of a lot of talent that have been blacklisted that they're willing to bring anyone back if they think if they think enough money's to be made out of them. Yeah, I think but, I don't think Cody's really bored about going back at this point, no. otherwise he would have done something like this. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, hopefully 
All I think Russell then will go from strength to strength and he, he won't need to. Yeah. But um, another thing people sort of questioned about the actual match was the blood. What did, what did you make of the blood? I thought it added to the the drama of the match personally, but I have seen people on Twitter and other socials say it was too much and it, it wasn't necessary. Uh, what, what did you think? Yeah, I get the idea of kind of having the blood because I think this wasn't like like the differences in certain matches, like some matches were different from others that kind of make things feel fresh, whereas, because this is not maybe a slower match than some of the other ones, which seem like this is slower than a Young Bucks match, I think it's kind of the mentality that these two guys have, because they're kind of going for kind of old school tatties with like Brandy on the outside, interfering on, on Cody's behalf before getting thrown out, and then like uh, Cody taking a break and playing the clear heel, so I thought the idea of the blood and also being a brother v brother thing and the emotion behind it, like having the blood did add to that. But I think it's the fact that the cup was probably was definitely too deep. The fact that it caused so much more blood than was probably intended to come out. I think it got to a point where it became more uncomfortable for people. Yeah, sometimes uh, that that does happen. They they either cut themselves in the the wrong place or go a bit too deep and they get more blood. Uh, than they want, like uh, Eddie Guerrero at, uh, when he faced Bradshaw that time back in the day, he bled uh, all over the place, didn't he? Yeah, like, I've heard like stories about what the day that Eddie was in, like at backstage after match. So like, it kind of made me concerned for for you know, Dustin's sake because you, when the camera would cut, constantly cut to him because like you want to show the blood, you know, add to the match, but you see how quickly it was pouring. Like you said it kind of makes you uncomfortable, like. Can we not just end it because like, you're worried about about him? Yeah, um, but I was really impressed with, uh, with with Dustin in this match. I mean, he's, he's never looked that marvelous uh, in WWE, especially in his later years. Now he's fifty, but I mean, he did some, you know, he did some good moves like a a senton off the ring apron, which I've never seen him do before. And it it looked yeah. pretty awesome, to be fair. Yeah, also did like they both kind of did the cartwheel and they both did the kind of the stardust like hand motion. And kind of a call back to when they, the one time they really did face off, which was when Cody was stardust. And a lot of people said eh, Cody and him should have had a match at Mania, but apparently Cody never really wanted the match at Mania because he didn't like because he was worried about constantly being associated with his brother because that's how they, the re associated like seeing like Gold as his brother. Yeah, and they did have a match at the pay-per-view before Mania, and it, it didn't get much of a reaction at all. Nobody really seemed to care about it, so I think that was another reason it, it got nixed by management as well. Yeah, although it's bad, it's hard, hard as it was to see all the blood, like, all the night got all over Cody as well, but the crowd were very much in it, especially towards the end, they were firing up for, for the, uh, Dustin's kind of comeback, like, Remember, like before he got busted over, I think it was the the turnbuckle being exposed that cut him open. Yeah, oh, that was but, it. Yeah. Right? But before that, he uh, he was trying to go for a shattered dreams, but Cody ripped the turnbuckle off, which which then Dustin threw into the crowd, which you know someone's going to be selling on eBay before the night was <laughs> yeah. over. Um, Cody even had a vera breaker towards them, which I've never seen him do. Yeah, and I quite like the spot where Brandy has typically got involved and speared Dustin and 
then the referee tried to eject her from ringside and she wouldn't go. And DDP of all people came out and carried her off, which I thought was quite a funny, uh, funny spa. Also, I don't know if you know yourself, but uh, Bret Hart did it also when he came out. When we walked back up, he just instantly went to walk straight before realising that we had the two separate entrances at the sideways. Kind of like old school kind of TNA where they used to have a separate entrance for one compared than the other. So he almost had to create himself midway up the ramp. He had to sit and turn rather than just walking straight. All right. I must admit, I didn't notice that, to be honest. Yeah. Oh, I do like, yeah, I do like the idea of the two entrances. Because like, when you think of it, if somebody's in a personal like feud, what, what, what it really makes sense for them is standing behind the curtain together before going out. Yeah, I, I quite liked it. Some people thought it was going to be a heel entrance and a face entrance, but I didn't quite get that impression myself. Well, I think, well, not mostly implied a heel invasion, but just like for the two separate people, and obviously if they're coming at a separate entrance and a heel comes at one side more often than I think people will associate that as the heel kind of side. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I thought Dustin was going to actually win at one point uh, with his comeback. He hit a he hit a second crossroads and um, got a near fall. But I, I actually bit for that pin. I don't know yeah. about yourself. Yeah, I did think like he hit the uh, was it the uh, hit the spinning kind of suplex the curtain not a curtain call a uh, oh, final cut I believe it's called yeah final cut he hit that and also he hits Cody with his own finisher and. Yeah, I really thought he's actually going to pull it out at one point, but Cody would eventually pull it out because he hit, like I said, he hit a course with Dale Dustin and kicked out, which people couldn't believe. He hit the vertebrae kind of out of nowhere, kind of a safer version of it because I've seen words where it looks like someone's really landed on their, their neck and it looks very really bad. And uh, then he hit a second crossroads and that was it. And I think it was the right decision to have Cody win. Yeah, I do as well. And then there was a nice little bit at, at the end where Cody got the mic and um, told him, you're not going to retire here. And I, I inked myself for another match at Fight for the Fallen against the Young Bucks. And um, to face them, I don't, I don't need a partner. I don't need a friend, but I need a brother. And then they, uh, they sort of hugged it out. So that was quite a quite a nice ending to the match and that could be quite an interesting match at the fight for the fall and um, Young Bucks versus uh, the Rhodes Yeah, it definitely would be interesting because like, I know there was a lot of people were kind of confused by it by the idea of like, the whole build up to it and then as soon as the match is over they're now friends again but I think kind of Cody had a point to prove that he wanted to uh, get, prove that he could beat uh, Dustin on his own and also, like, the whole thing, the attitude era and, like, showing, like, that his generation was better. And, like, he had that attitude killer on his back, his weight belt. Yeah, um, and he did say in his promos that uh, he loved his brother. So it yeah. wasn't, you know, a massive no, jump to believe they'd make up after the, um, after the match. Yeah, like, so it was never that he didn't like his brother, it's just the generation that his brother kind of, of wrestling his brother was a part of so I think once he proved he could do it like he still wanted to show that he, did, he still loved him yeah it was, it was all good and uh, after that match we uh, we went to Jack Whitehall 
in the in the ring of all people. <laughs> yeah. I guess ITV wanted their own, one of their own people there. Yeah, he, he interviewed Cody, Brandy, and Tony Khan, and Tony by the, the Khan interview. He and uh, Jack are, are actually friends. Oh right, yeah. I did did not realize that. Yeah, did I until the interview? But they talked about it, and like you uh, can use Jack as an example because Jack used to be a fan, but he's more kind of lapsed now. And Cody used Jack's like fans like him as an example, the kind of people they want to kind of reach out to. Yeah, well, so that makes sense then. But I mean, I had no inkling who he was going to announce out out here. Uh, did you? Did you? Did you think Bret Hart was going to be at Double or Nothing? I really. I did not think if you, if somebody asked me, I think Bert, somebody said to me, I think Bret Hart's going to appear. I would have just looked them like, what purpose would Bret Hart have at, at Double or Nothing? And then he comes out, and I think he brought the the belt out, and the it was covered up, but it looked yes, very heavy. Yeah. And then he tried to hand it to Jack, and Jack was clearly struggling to hold it. He got he got a huge pop as well, which a big difference from the sort of non-reaction he got when he came out at WrestleMania with. Uh, Natalia and Beth Phoenix. Yeah, it's like they didn't know who he was then. At WrestleMania, it was very strange. I think it was uh, kind of like a shock because I don't think anyone would have suspected he was joking. I know he was at Starcast actually, the whole talking about his the legendary loss match with Tom McGee, and also I think maybe it was a respect camp for as well because this was two days after the anniversary of uh, of Owen's uh, sudden death. Yeah, it, it is. He is one of the biggest. One of the biggest legends in the business, to be fair, just outside your your rocks and Hogan's, for me anyway. Yeah, I don't think like there are many people who aren't as interested in wrestling that know Bret Hart. But I think a few, but maybe a few that's, that can know who Bret is because he was in like The Simpsons. Yeah, and then um, Bret bought um, brought out Hangman Page, mm-hmm. um, as he's the winner of the uh, oh. Casino Battle Royal. And then not far behind him came uh, MJF, who cut a promo um, running Hangman Page down and even made a joke about a fan coming at Brett, a call back to the Hall of Fame incident, where Brett actually sort of cracked a smile. He looked like he was uh, struggling to contain a bit of laughter at some of uh, MJF's uh, promo, to be honest. Yeah, well, it just goes to show how, how talented... MGF is, he managed to do what few can, he made for a heart smile. Yeah, <laughs> that's a fair, fair point. I mean, I don't know if um, we really needed uh, Jungle Boy, Jimmy Havoc. Um, I think someone else came out as well and um, beat MJF. I'm not too sure if they were needed. Yeah, I think they really need it. And also, there was kind of thing where this... Yeah, there's a moment that happened that along with the botch in the uh, women's match was something that made me kind of worried in that they showed they had Brett show the belt he just brought it out but they cut to a, the wrong angle that the other angle was side on from Brett so you couldn't actually see it and then just as you but you're all here but they cut to a different angle so for a brief point if you're watching on telly they kept showing angles that couldn't fully show you the belt yeah I mean to be fair though I mean this is only their second production, so there are going to be a few teething errors. I mean, WWE still make mistakes here and there, and Kevin Dunn's been doing this for like 30-odd years, so yeah, you've got to cut them a bit of slack, I think, to be to be fair to them. 
Yeah, I'm not really trying to be like overly harsh on it, but it's kind of the thing where it's kind of an important moment, like unveiling. Yeah, no, I, I, I do understand what you mean, but I, I'm just saying because a few people have been a bit harsher about it on on the social medias. Yeah, well, Cody did say like I don't see if I did watch a bunch of like interviews with people from All In that took place with uh, like certain journalists the day after All In, uh, sorry, Double or Nothing. Where like Cody said, he wants the company to be held accountable. Like if there's something you don't like, tell us. Like he said, if he mentioned to me, like if you're the only game in town, you don't really care what people say, but we 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 care what people think. So like I think they are gonna learn from some of the things that happen. You know, like you said, it's a first production, so if people are gurgle with things, they will probably take that on board. Yeah, I think that's a good stance to take, and it is probably another. Little dig at WWE, you seem to plough ahead with things no matter what, even if fans obviously aren't too into it, like Baron Corbin in every main event on Monday Night Raw, for example, and the continued push of Roman Reigns, who I quite like. So this isn't a dig at Roman Reigns at all, but you know, when so many people were against it, to just carry on regardless. Mm-hmm. But then if you think you're the only game in town and everyone's going to watch anyway, but maybe WWE might not be able to get away with that stance anymore themselves. Yeah. And then we get on to... So what do you think of of the belt anyway? Oh yeah, I was going to ask, but then I got (laughs) got sidetracked myself. Yeah, I I thought it was good. I've I've seen people say it's too much, but but I like it. It's got a very... IWGP uh, feel to it, hasn't it? It's um, I, I think it's a nice looking belt. It looks like a belt you'd want to win. Yeah, because like it does seem like they took a, a plate similar to the IWGP and kind of put the the letters AEW like right across it. I think it's that there wasn't a lot much other detail to it other than the plate and the words AEW, especially because Cody and the Bucks Starcast were kind of taking the piss out of the new twenty four seven belt look. Yeah, I mean, it does. It does look hideous, but I, I, I think that's the point. I mean, it's not supposed to be about you take completely seriously the twenty four seven belt. In all fairness, so yeah, it's just like also like if, if you have like that's why I think people were critical on that. But I think the difference is this is maybe a world title, whereas this is maybe a belt that, like you said, is not maybe taken seriously. Yeah, yeah. So I think it's a nice looking belt, and uh, we'll get on to who we think is going to end up with it uh, a little bit later on when we when we get to the the main event. But next up, we had um, the Lucha Brothers versus the Young Bucks. Now, I'm going to have to admit, I, I was quite surprised to find out um, Pentagon Junior and Ray Phoenix are actual real life brothers. I thought they were cave. I thought they were kayfabe brothers. <laughs> yeah, I didn't, I didn't know that. You know, I didn't know it until a couple of years ago because I heard of both of them, but I didn't really, hadn't seen them much together. But yeah, I didn't realize they were both brothers. It's kind of rare that you have a tag match nowadays where you got two sets of real life brothers. And quite a lot, quite a few parallels between them as well. I mean, both older brothers are thirty four. Um, Rafe, I think Rafe Phoenix is is he twenty eight? Um, Nick, yeah, I might get. Um, I might get the young books ro- uh, the wrong way round, but um, I think Nick's twenty nine, so you know very similar ages, but all, all been in the business 
similar amounts of times as well. Uh, one of the stories of the match was the fact that Lucha Brothers have been wrestling continuously. I think 48 matches was branded around. I, I don't know if that's that's true this early in 2019, but it could very well be. And the oh. Young Bucks have um, been sitting at home because they've been trying to get all the elite off the ground. So uh, they've only had two matches. So they they were worried about ring rust and and what have you going into the match. Yeah, I think it was a, a good story because like, when I mean, the Bucks showed up in AAA to surprise the, the brothers and took their AAA belts. I think that was the first match they'd had since January 4th back at Wrestle Kingdom. So quite a big gap, whereas the Ultra Brothers had kind of finished up with the promotions they'd been working on, like of Impact and MLW, as well as also AAA. So like you said, they had been working very fairly regularly, especially because like, Pentagon and Phoenix have kind of become... Have kind of exploded where they've been popping up in more and more promotions. So they're a couple of some of the probably busiest profe- independent wrestlers at the moment. So you can I kind of could buy that they'd already had forty nine matches. Yeah, and they must have a good relationship um, with Triple A to be able to defend the tag team championships at their event. Yeah, and. Yeah, like I said, the Bucks with the ring rust have been doing like skits with them and, and being the elite with them in the ring trying to kind of get back to because they were like practicing their like tag moves. Yeah, and they, they sort of came out the young Bucks, um, sort of like Elvis inspired gear. Yeah. Which I thought was quite cool, the white and sort of flared and that. Mm-hmm. I've seen, I've seen, you know, both, both of these teams in action before, but not, you know, not massive amounts of times, only a couple of, you know, handful of times. But the match was as uh, as impressive as you'd expect, really. But what yeah. did you think of the match? This is actually, I think, my match of the night, to be fair. Because yeah. the books made an emphasis on, like, tag wrestling being taken seriously in AEW because you had this, yeah, another tag match earlier on with uh, the best friends Anna Helico and Jack Evans and I think just the way they kept building, they kept like bring, pulling out new spots, which each looked more and more impressive. Like, I think they went for the Meltzer driver, and then Phoenix walked along the ropes and kicked, I believe, his neck in the head before breaking it up. And, yeah, that was a good spot, that was. Yeah, because like, there are wrestlers who can do like, moves where they walk along the ropes, but I think few do it as impressively as Phoenix does it. Yeah, I mean, I, I did try to make notes, but the action was that that fast paced I, I couldn't I couldn't keep up so I gave up on my note writing on uh, on this match and just uh, decided to enjoy the action I think and, uh, um, I think the Bucks pulled out uh, a couple of kind of callback spots because like they had they did a move with a powerbomb and a kind of sliced bread combo which I believe is a move that the what we say machine guns used to do and I remember me and I remember the first time I saw the Bucks was when they were Generation Me and TNA and they had an incredible series of matches with the, these machine guns. And, yeah, it yeah, was. Sorry. No, go on, you, you continue. Sorry, and there was that. There was, and I believe they hit a Canadian Destroyer at one point, which Pete Williams uh, treated it, who made the move kind of famous and said, like, still a great move all these years later. And the most notable one is because Excalibur also called it is one of the Bucks had kind of a brain buster on the top off the top kind of turnbuckle. Which yeah, is a, that was brutal, wasn't it, that move? 
yeah, which El uh, Generico used to do, and Nick Silver kind of called out, he had called back to El Generico, which kind of made me laugh because there's a clip of Excalibur going about from an El Generico match where El Generico has a high spot to the outside and just yells, El Generico is a big boy. And Kevin Owens is on commentary. Kevin Owens just breaks, like he's because it, it just took him totally by surprise. He just can't control himself because the next two matches, Excalibur trying to call a match while Kevin Owens is crying, laughing next to him. <laughs> That would have been funny, but uh, Bucks did get the win in the end with uh, the Meltzer driver. I mean, I, I, I was actually expecting um, the Lucha Brothers to to go over in this one and get the AAA tag belts back, but yeah. So I don't know what you thought about the the Young Bucks winning. Yeah, it was a kind of a surprise again because the with AAA, I thought the uh, Lucha Brothers would have won, but. Uh, I think storyline-wise, the whole thing was the Bucks said to kind of they've kind of been resting on the laurels, kind of like they think assuming that they're still assuming they're the best in the world, and then the attack from the Lucha Brothers back in the press conference kind of woke them up a bit, and they had to once again prove that they were the best. So I think storyline-wise, it was the Bucks once again proving that they still had it, and that the months away hadn't kind of didn't lost anything. So from that regard. Uh, I get it, and also I can't really disappoint it either way because of how good the match was. Yeah, they're, they're both great teams. They they really are. And the, again, the sort of action and moves you just don't see in uh, WWE. Yeah, and also I think it was an interesting spot where they were worried they wouldn't be able to get the Meltzer driver because Matt had kind of then put in the like, arm breaking spot, and it, you worried you wouldn't yeah. be able to hold them in position for the Meltzer driver with one bad arm. Yeah, definitely. A really good match, um, and then we go on to the the main event of the the night: uh, Chris Jericho versus Kenny Omega, the, the winner facing Hangman Page for the AEW title, and at a yet to be determined time, which could be fight for the fallen or it could be all out. We'll have to have to wait and see because all out isn't that far away really august it's it's only a couple of months away now isn't it really so yeah but uh we shall see uh, i quite like jericho's entrance here going through all the different uh variations of himself with the flashing jacket and even the lister jericho popping up which i thought might have been owned by wwe so <laughs> i was surprised he got away with that one yeah, I think like I think it was kind of it was a collaboration idea between him, Jericho and uh, Jimmy Jacobs, who used to write films. I think in that respect, I think because it was kind of partly his idea, you could get away with it. Yeah, he, he's always very good with um, coming up with cool ideas, Jericho. I mean, he sort of came up with the money in the bank concept. I know others refined it, but uh, yeah, he's, he he is. Uh, a very intelligent guy is uh, Jericho. Yeah, and also Ian pulled a, a, a call back to Lionheart as well. Yeah. And, um, I mean, this match was was pretty brutal. I mean, both men were chopping, them, chopping each other pretty stiffly, as you can see from the, the, red, the red chests pretty early on in the match. Yeah, I think it was kind of also weird that the referee tends to just kind of let them go and... Don't even bother kind of with the count or the trying to DQ him because like 
even said in AEW now they're doing kind of a 30 minute time limit still thing and also like in t- the tag matches it's uh, kind of a 10 count for the re- re- wrestler to get out of the ring once he's tagged out yeah um, they say that they did say it was a, a match under normal rules but they sort of let the referees use their discretion during the match as well which is quite good but they did have to sort of mention it on commentary a few times that the referee was using his discretion not to count them out. So whether the audience understood or really cared because the, ma- the match was that good. I mean, yeah. again, Jericho is another one of these guys pushing pushing 50 and he's he still looks like he's not lost a step, to be fair. He's put on a wee bit of weight, which you'd expect when you're nearly 50 and touring a lot of a rock band as well. Yeah, and... Uh... You said with the registration, I don't think they would want the main event of the first show, especially not a main event that has implications for the world title down the line to end in kind of a DQ, so they kind of let them go. One of my favourite spots early on on the outside was when Kenny went for the kind of a minsult sale thing on the barricade and Jericho pushed him into the, the crowd, but also there's a bit where Jericho Omega tried to catch his cell before Jericho pushed him and say like, no Chris, don't push me in there, not with the marks. <laughs> yeah, that was a good spot, but he did he did hit something in the end, didn't he? When he uh, he came back up and uh, hit him as yeah, yeah, Jericho from the barricade. Again. Yeah, yeah, Jericho also trying to get in the camera again, like he's done before. Yeah, and uh, they also got a got a table out as well. That was quite a good spot when uh, Omega drop kicked the table into Jericho's face, and then he did a springboard double stomp. Onto the table, smashing into Jericho. I thought that was a that was a spot I've never seen before. Yeah, and also yeah, I think the Jericho, I think it was like Omega set up the table and say, but it was him that would go through it and uh, excel where yelled check off the table, which I think was uh, maybe a reference to check off gun and the which is the thing if a gun appears on screen or on stage in a form of entertainment, it's obviously got to be used because an audience has seen it. The audience expects someone to go through that table. It's almost like an unwritten rule in wrestling that the person who sets it up is nine times out of ten the person who ends up going through it as well. Oh, yeah, what happened on the, the buying, the Janela kind of set up a table on the outside, but when he got eliminated, he got put through it as he was being eliminated. Yeah, yeah, I remember that spot. So, yeah, it does seem to be a trope in wrestling that if you set up the table, you're you're the one that's likely to to go hurtling through it. Mm-hmm. But again, this this sort of, this had all the moves. I mean, uh, Jericho kept getting out of the one-winged angel, so they protected that move again, because I don't think many people have kicked out of that, have they? So um, yeah. rather than use it and Jericho kicked out, they just had Jericho counter it uh, several times. Yeah, and like the whole thing we Omega's usual card as the first two matches he he couldn't properly get the uh, clear opportunity hit the one winged angel and then the time that he finally did hit it he beat him so it is one of those more protected finishers and yeah, Jericho's finishers were good because they could kind of come out and over like the code breaker he caught Kenny with one as, it, as he came off the apron, of the top and because Omega's kind of became one of the guys who quit, is kind of almost the best at taking the code breaker the way he just flopped in the air as he takes it. Yeah, I think that's one of the things that's that's helped Jericho over the years. 
stay relevant. He's um, altered his moveset, hasn't he? Like when he wanted to make the comeback in 2007, he was determined to find a new move that didn't need much setup and he could sort of hit out of everywhere, hit out of anywhere. And he saw uh, the code breaker on a, an indie match and he thought, that's, that's the move, that's the move for me. Yeah, and like I remember he had the the skull question finale back in two thousand one for a few weeks where he called it the breakdown. Yeah. Never really worked for him somehow. It is a it isn't one of my favourite moves, to be honest. Yeah. And also he, he's come up with another finisher which some people thought him using that finisher he kinda win kinda made it flat because it kinda came out of nowhere and I don't think a lot of people were expecting Mega to be beaten by a, a spinning back elbow. Also, Jericho put in a video like Wee's trainer that explained that actually now MMA a spinning back elbow is one of the more devastating moves you can actually hit. Yeah, if you get hit in the face of a, a strong a strong elbow, it, it it does hurt and it does disorientate you. I, I used to do a, a bit of jiu-jitsu back in the day and we were sparring with some uh, other people and one of the lads got a bit carried away and pie-faced me with, a, with an elbow. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I know firsthand what it what it's like, but he he did. I think he did hit a couple of manoeuvres as well before nailing him with the Judas out the Judas effect. So it wasn't like it was just he just hit that and and that was it. I think yeah. he uh, carried the one wing angel into a a DDT, didn't he? Uh, hit a code breaker and then and then smashed him with the Judas effect. Uh, what did you think about Jericho go, going over? Uh, I was quite surprised, but it, it does make sense that, you know, you got Adam Page as the baby face to, to put him against Jericho, the heel, but I was quite surprised to see him beat uh, Omega so cleanly, to be fair. Yeah, well, first off, I want to say, you know, about smashing Omega in the face, like, you noticed he had a bloody nose kind of early on. He did, was, yeah. It was confirmed uh, after the show, apparently he had broken his nose, like, fully early on in the match, but he managed to keep going, so introduced him, and if he had, like, his nose already broken, then getting smashed in the face with an elbow for the finish, like, it makes a lot more, you know, sense. Yeah, I did wonder if he had broken his nose, the way he was, uh, the way he was bleeding, so he did well to, to carry on, really, because that, again, that can be really disorientated when you, uh, when you break your nose. Yeah, but uh, as far as Jericho going over, uh, actually wanted Jericho to win so I was I was more than fine with it and kind of because like, the idea of Jericho lost the last one but also if it's kind of going to be the contender for the world title like Jericho's actually got a match before the next AEW show uh, in Japan he will be challenging Okada for the IWGP title so yeah so it, it, it does make more sense in that way as well I mean to lose to Kenny and then um, be facing Okada, I think, just lost to Kenny. Wouldn't wouldn't have made a huge amount of uh, sense, really. So it gives him good momentum for for that match as well. Yeah, because it makes him look strong going into that. Because not only is he a legend, but he's also beaten the guy that Okada's had this kind of legendary series of matches with. And also, uh, like it makes sense that he's on the face page because you have Page who is younger. He's kind of the guy's position is like one of the top faces. He's associated with the elite. I think he's kind of benefiting from that relationship. And you have Jericho, who's a legend. So you have the up-and-comer and facing a legend for the first ever world title. 
they're the be the first ever world champion in AEW, so I think that contrast it makes for a more exciting match. Yes, it does. I mean, if you were one of the CEO of All Elite Wrestling, who would you want to put the belt on? The the more established name, Chris Jericho, or the young up and comer Adam Page? Who who do you think should uh, become the first champion? I think I think Page would uh, is probably going to win the title. I think I think that's because as much as it would make sense to put on Jericho because he has the name value. If if he if he brings people into the show where he gets eyes on the show that is where the first champion is crowned. The people see Page both for the first time, and Page wins, and people become a fan of Hangman Page. They want to see what he does next. So, have a good match against Jericho, and then having him carry the title forward, and maybe against likes of MJF or him against Jimmy Havoc or whoever uh, going forward. I think Page is the right person to be the champion. Yeah, no, I agree. It should give him a big leg up beating someone like Jericho. So um, then they'll probably, as you say, uh, go to a fuse with um, MJF, I would imagine. Uh, do you see Jericho beating Okada, or is that an Okada win? Uh, as much as I was as a fan of Jericho, I would love, kind of love to see it, because on the one hand, I wonder if it would maybe boost a... Uh, AEW standing, having the IWGP champion as part of the roster. And also, I know there'll be a lot of people out there, big, hardcore New Japan fans, who would hate the idea of Jericho coming in and taking the veil. You've probably seen the Brock Lesnar of that company. Yeah, because... Sorry, but on the other hand... Sorry, here you go. No, go on, you finish. Sorry, but I was just finishing saying that, on the one hand, if he did win the uh, title going into facing Page... You would probably have to win again also because of like Pac has like the Dragon Gate belt and he can't really lose to Omega and Dragon Gate can't become this number two promotion in Japan and having the guy come in with the number one promotion title in Japan then kind of the same argument is he can't really lose then. Yeah, no, I, I mean I'm, I'm I'm pretty sure a Carter will win that one, but you just you just don't know, do you? Sometimes. Yeah, I mean, I didn't think he'd get it off Jay White so quickly, to be honest. But yeah, I think Jay White was kind of putting in position, putting kind of Kenny's position before Kenny left. Yeah, because we've all gone into New Japan too much on this, but yeah, I mean that. I mean, it was it was a really good match, to be fair, and Jericho. Cut a promo saying he is AWE and you're all here because of me and I'm the reason you got all these uh, TV deals and etc etc and then who should uh, we spy walking through the crowd but the former Dean Ambrose John Moxley I mean quite a lot of people were expecting him to turn up but nobody really knew for sure was it a surprise to you or were you expecting well. He, when he cut, when Jericho's cut the promo, I think I'd almost maybe forgotten a bit Moxley because I thought assumed if he's not fighting Page, he's not showing up. So I figured we it would be Page to come out because he and Kenny are part of the elite, so Page would come stick up for his friend and he would set up the match. And then you hear the crowd looking, you see the crowd looking over, and you can hear them starting to get louder, and then it cuts to Moxley. Like, so I think it helped. I'd almost forgotten that he that he was involved. So yeah, it was definitely a surprise to me to see him. Yeah, and then he, he nailed Jericho with his uh, 
double arm DDT, which uh, was called Dirty Deeds in WWE, nailed the referee, and then uh, Omega fought, fought back and they sort of fought outside um, to the outside of the ring before sort of climbing up like um, a like a chip stack, wasn't it? It was part yeah. part of the set, probably. How why would you say? Ten, eight foot high, perhaps something like that. Yeah, it was a you know, interesting way to end the show. We we were getting sent flying to possibly set up a thing between him and my Moxley down the line. Yeah, that that could be an exciting match because when he nailed Jericho, I thought perhaps they were going to go with that feud and have Moxley as a baby face. But if, to say, Jericho's wrestling page, it would make more sense for uh, for John Moxley to to fight and feud with um, uh, Kenny Omega instead. Yeah, plus we kind of have seen the uh, Moxley versus Jericho before in, in WWE, so I don't think there'll be a lot of people who are too quick to see that anytime soon. Maybe, but I do think this would be a, a better match than um, WWE. I think they're going to let Moxley loose and you know do a bit more of what he was doing on the indie circuit. Yeah. I've been wondering if he's, he's not sure if he's gonna keep doing the double arm DDT. Like I don't know if he can call it dirty deeds. I think W may have a no, no. Uh, I don't. They'll call it that now. But I was just refer, referring back to it. I don't know what they'll name it. To be I was, fair, I, I, had a, I had the idea that his real surname is good. So I think of calling it no good deeds. Yeah, that, yeah, that'd be uh, that'd be a good name actually. You should get it patented quick. <laughs> you know. You know, my DMs are open if John Moxley wants uh, ideas. <laughs> um, so overall, what what did you think of the, the card and double or nothing uh, overall? I think, like I said, like there was the odd issue with especially the six woman tag and that. And as much as I may not like the idea of them referencing WWE, I can't deny that match wise there was a lot to enjoy about this show. I mean. A lot of people can be overly critical, and I think it is fair if you're going to judge one company, partially you need to be objective and look at the other company in a similar light. And judging by the way the guys involved respond, they want to be held accountable for, and they want to know what the fans think. But I think going forward, I have a lot of optimism with where AEW can can go going forward, especially now that the TV deal has been confirmed. Yeah, I think that's big for the UK, isn't it? Uh, the deal. With ITV4, I think it'll have a lot of people say, oh, but what about World of Sport? Uh, you know, that didn't do very well. It got shifted about, but they were on the primetime slot on ITV's main channel. So it, it won't be the same sort of pressure on ITV4 to, to get those sort of ratings. Yeah. I think it's a good, you know, it's in every home in the country, more or less. So I don't think they could have hoped for a better deal, really. I'm curious. Uh, when Moxley has his first like AEW uh, match because like, I think possibly could he be a fighter fest because Pac was not a team with the Lucha Brothers against Kenny and the Bucks but if Pac's kind of temporarily not debuting because he can't really lose could like given this angle do you think Moxley could take his place in the match? Yeah, quite possibly. Uh, you never know. I'm sure we'll find out in due course uh, more know, matches for the card. There's no way, uh, because I, I know Kenny's already fine at Fight for the Fallen, so if they had the six-man 
and then some sort of angle at Fate for the Fallen after Kane's match. They could definitely, I could definitely see Moxley Omega being a big match for like uh, All Out. Yeah, definitely. That that'd be an interesting way to go. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I didn't know the bad match on the card. Uh, as to say, a lot of competitors I'm unfamiliar with, but everyone seemed to feel like a star. Really, it was very well presented. I loved the set. I, I must mention that, like the, the sort of chandelier lights in mm. there and the, the poker theme. They, um, WWE events all very samey now, all seem to have the same sort of set, don't they? So it's nice yeah. to see something presented in a different fashion. Yeah, it's definitely something new, and hopefully going forward, they like they have like different things, like different like styles for their events because you can dip, hopefully like. I can see Fighter Fest having a different feel from Below Nothing, which is always good to have to make things stand out. Yeah, definitely. Bro, you know, hopefully this will give uh, Vince and WWE something to think about, if if nothing else. I was very impressed with this. So, um, anything you want to say and, and promote, Scott? Uh, yeah, you can... Follow me on Twitter for more of my ideas for finishing moves and other wrestling ideas. <laughs> you can get me at Scott McLeod 1996. I also do a podcast where I talk about wrestling, as I've done on here, go off on long tangents, called uh, Scott and Paul's Rambling Podcast. We we did a thing about Goldust's career, given that he was going to be appearing on this, so that was one of our more recent missions. And our next episode, we're also going to be talking a lot about this and about WWE at SP Rambling on Twitter and facebook.com forward slash Alan Podcast to find all the links for that. Excellent. And you can find me on uh, Carl underscore fire. Actually, sorry, it's Carlos underscore fire 89. And you can find us at rogue.opinion and rogue.opinions on Instagram. And also check out our other pods. I've got a Money in the Bank one up at the moment on Podbean and we've also got a pod where my, myself and Nathan cover the game Life is Strange which episode 2 should be up within a within a week so go and, and check those out yeah and I think at the time you time this is out uh, we should uh, hopefully it's out by the time you listen to this but we've got a upcoming kayfabe court where I'll be presiding as the judge over our next case where we try to figure out what happened when Ric Flair was buried in the desert back in WCW? <laughs> I'm sure that'll be. A, I'm sure that'll be a riot to uh, to listen to, and hopefully right. we should have a, a website up within the next uh, week or so as well. With any luck, yeah. so, uh, be sure to check that out. That'll all be announced through uh, our social me- uh, social our media. socials once. Uh, yeah, <laughs> once uh, that's all sorted. All right, brilliant, Rob. Thanks, Scott. Thank you. Goodbye. Thanks, bye.